Shalom, Matthew 24, 1 through 3. Now when Yeshua went out and was going away from the temple, his disciples came up to point out to him the temple buildings. Don't you see all these? He responded to them, Amen, I tell you, not one stone will be left here on top of another. Every one will be torn down. As he was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things happen? What will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So last week, um, we, we had started uh, a series on prophecy. If you were here, if you haven't, uh, it is or will soon be up on YouTube. You can check that out. Um, and one of the things that Rabbi Chaim, as he started that series, w- was clear about is that, you know, we're, we're not necessarily, when we talk about prophetic things, even when we talked a little bit about with that, with the Tubishvat thing today, we're not necessarily going to focus on uh, news headlines or uh, math calculations. Um, nothing of an offense about math. This is not uh, you know, math shaming or anything like that. Uh, end time charts, that kind of stuff. That's not really, I mean... Maybe we will a little bit. The point is it's not really our focus. And when we talk about prophecy, that's often what is conjured up, I believe, are these thoughts of detailed you know, uh, charts and graphs and, and math and, and statistics and so forth, um, and, and again, correlating news headlines. But we're not really going to focus that, that, way, that way. However, if you know much about what was read today or the beginning of that little snippet that was read, um, this is one of those sections of Scripture that really does lend itself to just that kind of stuff. Um, it elicits all kinds of discussion in, that, in the realm of charts and calculations and, and, and headlines and so forth. It's commonly referred to as the Olivet Discourse. Um, took place on the Mount of Olives. That's where it gets the name from. And to start the discourse, Yeshua's disciples ask him, Kind of what kicks it off are these questions that were that were read by Linda. Uh, you know, when are basically when are you coming back, and and what are the signs of your coming back? You know, two kind of one intertwined questions there. Not odd questions at all. Um, quite frankly, I think these are questions that we might like all like the answers to, right? Um, and I can't find fault in the disciples for asking these questions either. And that's what starts off this, this discourse. And Yeshua then, if you, if you read, and I'm going to read some of the, some of the further uh, verses today, and I'm also going to just summarize, because it's a long section. Typically, most people look at this uh, section as spanning up through uh, into chapter 25 uh, and, and beyond. Um, but I'm going to summarize some as well as read some today. But Yeshua goes on in the, in, in that, the, the two chapters to uh, seemingly answer these, these questions that are asked of him. And he talks about a lot of things at the outset. He talks about um, that there's going to be false messiahs. There's going to be, you're going to see wars, and you're going to hear about wars. And there's going to be lawlessness, and troubles are going to become multiplied. He talks about an abomination of desolation. He talks about, uh, you'll see famines, and you'll see earthquakes, Again, these are all answers, supposedly, to these questions. Um, And then he also says that all that stuff, uh, he says, those are just the beginning of 
what he says are birth pangs, and other Gospels uses different words for it, different imagery. And there's lots of details in all of that stuff that can be looked at, um, and lots of questions that can be asked about that. You know, what exactly did Yeshua mean by all of this? Is it all pointing toward future events? Um, and if so, then what was the benefit of, you know, if someone asks you a question and you tell them something's going to happen 2,000 years down the road, what benefit is that? You know, so is it all, was it all contemporary with Yeshua and his disciples? Was it all kind of around that time frame? Was some of it then? Was some of it now? Uh, did, did some of those things already happen? Did some happen and will they happen again? You know, again, do we need to start now comparing and correlating uh, headlines with this stuff? Um, and, you know, uh, many of us probably have seen and have maybe even done that, and, and I'll, I'll circle back to that so don't get too worried. Um, but, you know, do we need to look at the incidence of earthquakes, for example, uh, over the past 200 years versus, let's say, the past 2,000 years? And we can say, wow, there's as many in the last couple hundred years as there have been. And that points to, and we start, you know, whew, you know, do we need to do that? Um, again, we know of some things that have already happened. I do think that, uh, certainly the destruction of the temple that Yeshua, that Linda read about the one stone not being on top of the other, the destruction of the temple in AD 70, that's happened. Uh, if, again, if we were to read, Yeshua talks about an abomination of desolation. Uh, I do believe that there's good evidence to say that that has happened, maybe in part. We don't like to say there's been partial fulfillment of prophecy. There's often fulfillment and fulfillment of prophecy in the sense of a now and a, and a future, more of a telescopic uh, view of prophecy. I believe that if you look at the events surrounding uh, Hanukkah and the, and the desecration or desolation of the, of the temple there by Antiochus and so forth, uh, that that's a, a, a fulfillment of, of, of that. Um, so again, although we're not planning, at least I'm not planning, and I don't think Chaim is planning on digging uh, in deep to these details. If we were doing a Bible study of this section, we could go through a lot of the, the debates and so forth in each of these verses, through these chapters, but um, we're not going to do that. However, I don't want to just marginalize things or just simply dismiss them by trying to say, hey, it's one or the other. You know, either this, this stuff happened, yes, and these things, these four things happen, and they're going to happen again, or they didn't happen, and so forth. Um, you know, all of this must have been uh, near term as far as Yeshua was concerned, or it was the other. I don't want to marginalize it. I do want to focus on the things that are, that are I want to say, relatively clear in this section. Maybe some things that are overlooked because we get so caught up in all these other details and maybe fun things, if you will. I don't know. Maybe they're fun for some of you. Um, and that they, quite frankly, they can be. Um, so here are some things that we can say at the outset based on all of this information that Yeshua does give in these chapters. Um, we can say that there is a danger... Because he warns. I mean, the first words out of his mouth are, don't be deceived, be warned, be, you know, be careful. I think we can say that there is a danger of becoming overly consumed by questions of timing, the exact date of the Lord's return, you know, wars, rumors of wars. I mean, these, you know, these, these can be concerning as well. But listen, these are part of, this is part of human history, uh, wars and rumors of wars. Uh, there is a both and aspect going on to that. On the one hand, you know, again, wars are part and parcel of, of, of the world, but they're also part and parcel of God's plan. Clearly, he's talking about here. Um, not saying he creates them and so forth, but they're, they're part of what's going to happen. On the other hand, those things may not necessarily be as strong of immediate precursors to the end of the world as we may think they are. 
Again, Yeshua describes these things as only the beginnings of birth pains. Um, that's a pretty vivid uh, image there. Some of you, you know, uh, I've not personally had the birth pains personally. I've witnessed them, and I, and I think, uh, you know, just as a woman may experience false labor, even when there's real labor going on, we still don't really know the moment, right, the exact moment. That this is going to happen in two hours and 17 minutes, and we don't necessarily know, know that kind of thing. And so, too, I think that the events detailed here by Yeshua don't enable us to predict the exact time of Messiah's coming. Um, a lot of these things indicate that the last days have begun. I will, I will admit that, agree to that, but that not necessarily that the last days are like now, here, this moment. I mean, again, there's a lot of, as Chaim would say, you could drive a couple of Mack trucks through, the, through that, that, that width. So we can learn that there's a danger in some of that, being overly consumed with that. We can also learn that there is and there will continue to be a lot of false teaching. Yeshua spends a good bit of time here talking about false teaching, false messiahs that can range from twisting events that suit somebody's agenda to trying to create a following um, all the way over to just, you know, real believers trying to dig into these things and maybe just kind of having a wrong interpretive method, a wrong hermeneutic, if you will, a wrong way of, of, of looking at it. So overall, the things that Yeshua is talking about are likely both near and current and future predictions. Um, again, descriptions of what are often termed tribulations uh, that, have, that started about AD 70 up through now. Um, but all of this does not mean and should not help make, cause us to think that life for believers in the world are going to remain you know, just unrelentingly evil. But that in general, you know, due to the opposition of a fallen world to God's plans and purposes and the fact that it seems like almost a very exclusive um, message of God, that there's going to be opposition despite the fact that the kingdom of God has been inaugurated, has been started. And we, and we know that by Yeshua telling us here. The kingdom of God is here, right? He says. So... Again, we'll talk, uh, we'll talk about this more today, but still, as part of the overview, let's look at the basic things that Yeshua does, in fact, say with regard to his disciples' question of, when will you return? What will be the signs? When we look at the, the action words, if you were to go through these, these chapters and look, you know, sometimes we say look at the different, you know, uh, grammar, if you will, but like the, the verbs that tell you what to do sometimes, that these are the, what we call the imperatives. What does Yeshua say to do? He said a lot of stuff about earthquakes and wars and rumors, and we, if we go off on a tangent calculating the earthquakes, great. But what does he say to do? What does he say that's really clear? That's maybe not qu no question. A couple things he says uh, right off the bat. Like I said, he says, uh, which might be a theme for us, he says, don't be led astray. Your translations might, might vary. But uh, he says, be careful in the TLV. Be careful. In other words, don't jump to uh, eschatological conclusions necessarily. He also says, don't believe it. Don't believe some of the things you're going to hear. Don't go chasing after. They say he's here, he's there. Go out and see him. He says, don't, don't, don't do that. He does say also to be alert, to keep watch and to be prepared. So what does that leave us with? What does that mean to keep watch and to be prepared? Say you're home tonight, 7, 8 o'clock, maybe 9 o'clock, sometime in this late evening. And you found out that Yeshua was coming back this evening, this very night. You're at home now. Picture yourself there. Don't, don't close your eyes too much. What would you do? Let's say you were in bed watching TV, okay? 
And you found that out. Would you continue to watch? Okay, if you were doing laundry, would you? Okay, that's wonderful. Keep doing laundry. <laughs> would that be appropriate? I, I'm, I'm not, you can say no, yes. I'm going to suggest it might be, maybe not, maybe so. I don't know that it's so inappropriate. What if you were already in bed, drifting off to sleep? Are you going to get up or are you going to go to sleep? I don't know. Again, would it be appropriate to simply remain sleeping? What should you do? I know y'all, don't shout them out, but you know, the other night, and this is not a, a unique event, but I put my, put my three, little, three littler kids go to bed. They go to bed a, a little earlier. And it's not always perfectly quiet when they're in, in the room together, <laughs> you can imagine. And so, uh, as the father, I told them to go to sleep, but no, there's talking and commotion. So I go up upstairs, the door's closed, I turn the light on the hall so I can kind of see a little bit in there. Quickly open the door, swing it open, just in time to see a little silhouette. <laughs> going back to their spot, scooting across the room, you know. Now, I don't know what she was doing, but it was clear what she was thinking, I think. Daddy's here, he's, he's coming, uh, I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I better get back in my spot, better get back to what I was supposed to be doing, better get quiet, better go to, better go to bed, better be pleasing to dad by returning to, you know, my spot, because he's, he's, he's come. The thought of Yeshua returning can, can elicit different responses. I, I'll, I saw a lot of different thoughts and wheels turning around here. There can be extremes, I think. There could be extremes from just being completely nonchalant and saying, well, that's good news. I'm just going to keep going back to sleep here. I'm going to put the stuff in the dryer now. I don't know. It could be that. Uh, keep watching TV. Or it could be like a kid. You know, you could be scampering across uh, the room through the darkness, trying to hide maybe some aspect of, of your life that you, you know you shouldn't be engaged in. Um, or maybe it's something that you're deliberately not confronting. And now's the time. Let's confront it now because Dad's here. Um, because maybe you didn't think a time of reckoning was coming. Or you presume you've got plenty of time left in your lives to, you know, get that all in order. But the question or the questions are still out there. What will, you know, when will Yeshua return and how will we know? Those questions are still there. And I've talked about the overall ideas of how Yeshua answered these questions. But with our remaining time, I want to look at the stories and the parables that are in this section that I believe kind of round out the complete teaching on the subject after you get through all the earthquakes, wars, rumors of wars, false messiahs, abomination of desolation, pre-trib, rapture, post-trib, but you want to figure all that. Let's go past that. There's a bulk of teaching there. There's several parables and some stories that I think can give us some, some better guidance than, uh, than looking up stats on earthquakes, personally. Um, beginning in verse 32. I'm going to read some and I'm going to summarize some in, in, in chapter 24 right now. Chapter 24, verse 32 says, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branches become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. Amen, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things happen. Stop for just a moment. Um, just, that generation could have been that generation with Yeshua. Translations will vary. It could also be a more global picture of the Jewish people in general. So I'm not going to, I just want to say, let you know, there is a, you know, don't get stuck there and say, well, he says this generation, it's got to be, it's debated as to exactly 
Is it this generation? Is it, future, is it the Jewish people in general? That, I won't get into the, the word study there on that word, but it is debatable. He then concludes with, but of that day and hour no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, except the Father alone. I'll come back to that again. That's mentioned a few times in these, these, these chapters. For just as, and this is continuing on the same thought, for just as the days of Noah were, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in, ma giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and swept them all away. So shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one taken and one left. And again, this is all part of the same thought I want to suggest. I know there's been, there's, you know, uh, I've seen the Left Behind movie. I think we're all familiar with that. I do think the picture here is a little different than the movie portrays. The ones left behind are Noah. They're the ones protected. The Noah's the one. The others are taken. I think it's more that way as opposed to the other. So I don't want to burst anybody's uh, left behind theology. However, I think it's pretty clear that the, the ones remaining are the ones that are not the wicked ones taken away. Anyways. Um, so Noah and his family, we see there, were prepared. Now others were simply preoccupied in the Noah story. You know, they, they weren't necessarily even doing things that were bad. I mean, I don't think it's bad to eat and drink. We're going to eat and drink a little bit, by the way. Uh, so don't think, oh, it's bad. We're eating and drinking. You know, uh, we can eat and drink and uh, uh, the marrying. They were just living life. But I think the, the point is they were caught up in the details uh, and not paying attention to the larger picture around them. You know, maybe they had their heads buried in their smartphones back then. I don't, I don't know what it was. I saw a video of that this week. A guy robbed a bar. Do you see that? I don't know where it was. Some point. This guy's at the bar like this, and behind a motorcycle pulls up, and he, he, everyone hits the ground, and he comes in, he gets money from the bartender, and then like, there's a person at the bar like this with his phone. Missed the whole thing. It was, unbel it was unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. And it wasn't made up. It was a security footage. I couldn't like... Crazy. So anyways... Um, the concluding message, again, we're looking at kind of the, the, the teaching, the, the overall message beyond all the, the, some of these details is to stay alert, to be ready. The Son, the Messiah, Yeshua, is coming back. And we learn from this first example here that he's coming back at a time that you, you, you don't expect. Right? They were just living life, and it came back, they didn't expect it. Then Yeshua flows into a story about a servant. Okay? He says, who then uh, will be the faithful, the faithful servant? I'm going to read that one to you. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master put in charge of his household to give them food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whose master finds him so doing when he comes. Amen, I tell you, his master will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that wicked servant says in his heart, my master is taking a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow servants, and he eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and in an hour he does not know. And he will cut him in two and assign his place with the hypocrites, where there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So here we have a story of contrast. We have two scenarios involving a chief servant and an absentee master. The master returns in this case, not at a time not expected, but uh, a little sooner than expected. I guess in one sense, it was, first it was a time you didn't expect. Here it was sooner than expected. And what does he find the servant doing? What does he, you know... It, what he's supposed to be doing. Is he, is he shirking his responsibilities? There's a, a rabbinical story, Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer, some of you have heard this story before where he tells his disciples to repent one day before you die, and his disciples say, well, how can we know when that is? He said, well, okay, how much better a reason to just repent today? 
you know, because you don't know. And the alternative is to have the day of reckoning so far off in one's thinking that you act irresponsibly and wickedly, thinking that there's plenty of time left for repentance. And I think even if Yeshua's return seems so far off and so, you know, hard to imagine or internalize, um, you just have to look around you a little bit. And we talk, I heard, you know, Chaim was talking about illness and sickness, and we have to hear about accidents and, you know, all these kind of things around us, enough to, I think, we realize that, you know what, we're not necessarily guaranteed uh, the rest of the afternoon, let alone years. You know, we're not guaranteed. And so I think that's a good enough reason for anyone here, if you've not trusted Yeshua before as your atonement, as your Savior, I mean, today is the day to do it. Today is the day to do it. At least the day to begin investigating, to start looking at the things maybe have stopped you from looking before. You know, I've got at least one family member um, that, I've even got a, I've got a, I've got a picture of him with, with a, a brochure sticking out of his pocket. He came to a service one time, and there's a little brochure, and it, you can see in the picture, ten, there's something like 10 uh, reasons why we know Yeshua has come, the Messiah has come, or whatever, right there in his pocket. I've also given him Isaiah 53, and has he not just decided to not believe in God or not believe in Yeshua because he's researched all that stuff and so forth? No, I think it's mainly because yeah, things are going okay, and uh, probably have time later. But no, now is the time. There's not necessarily going to be another time. The picture in this parable of the, of the slave beating his fellow servants does not necessarily portray believers that are you know, caught in sin and suddenly uh, uh, damned, if you will, but it pictures people who delay coming to terms with God and the Messiah for too long so that they suddenly find that whether due to his coming or due to their deaths, uh, that it's just too late to repent. And then we have another parable. Again, there's a string of stories here. We have another parable. The story of the ten uh, virgins, sometimes the ten bridesmaids, it can be translated It's the wedding party that's going to be going into the, the bigger wedding party. And this is where Yeshua says that the kingdom of heaven will be like ten bridesmaids who were waiting for the groom to come and inaugurate the wedding party. And five of the, five of the bridesmaids um, had extra oil with them uh, for their lamps, and five did not have any extra oil. And so when the groom eventually came, then five of the bridesmaids were without oil for their lamps, and by the time they went out and bought the oil and came back to the party, the door was locked, and it had already begun, the party, and they couldn't get in. It was clear that, that they couldn't get in. So here, it wasn't that it was an unexpected return. Um, that wasn't the image, but it, was a, it, was a, it, it wasn't um, a quick return, but a delay in the return. There was a delay. Someone was late. Jewish meantime. Right? As some people have told me. Do not point to the scripture as reason to be tardy. Please. Still no excuse. But again, a delay in return. Not unexpected, not quick, but a delay. Expected, but a delay. Five bridesmaids are thrown off by that extra time, and they weren't prepared for such a delay. They're then surprised and shocked that the, the circumstances have rendered them incapable of ever entering into the celebration. I think the point is that we must be prepared for delay. We might be wrong about our timetable of things. You know, we may have to endure some tribulation, some hardships, maybe some things we weren't expecting because of a delay, because our time, time was off. And as harsh as it, sta as it sounds, and, and in this story, it, it, I was talking to a guy this week about it. He said, yeah, that, that story always gets me. It sounds pretty harsh. Can't get in, right? But, you know, the fact is that in life, uh, there are some things that simply don't afford a second chance. 
And that's true regarding afterlife as well. But this parable, I think, which is often overlooked, there is a good, uh, a positive, encouraging light in there, I think, if you've never noticed it before, is that it's not just about the ones that don't get in. I think the story also tells us that um, staying ready is not in vain because the groom will come back and will gather in all those who are his. That's also part of the story. That's, there's a good news uh, aspect to, this, to, that, to that particular parable. So we've seen several stories and parables here so far. And if you haven't read, again, haven't read this section ever or haven't read it in a while, I'd, I'd recommend you go back and read chapters 24 through, really, through just about the end of 25. Um, but again, all are part of the context of answering the question of when will Yeshua return? What will be the sign of his coming? This is still the context. This is what all this stuff is about. It all ties into that qu- those questions. And so far, the very definitive things that Yeshua has said, either directly or through these stories, are don't be deceived. He says, be on alert. He also says a couple of times, no one knows when exactly it will be. He does say, though, it will be obvious. It will be unmistakable. He does also now, I think, through these stories, we can see that he says, that the return will be sooner than expected, it will be later than expected, and it will be unexpected. These are the, the Jewish ambiguous tension answers, right? You're going to be late? Yes. You're going to be uh, right on time? Yeah. You're going to be sooner? Yeah. You're going to be, we don't know? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they all, they all say that. But then there's a final parable, which I believe we can take as the instructions to follow in the meantime of all of this uh, unexpectedness and all of this unknownness. And it's the parable of the talents. Many of you are familiar with the parable of the talents. A master goes away, but it's, you know, he, he's going to come back. The uncertainty in that respect is really not part of the story, but the story centers around when he leaves, he leaves five, or he leaves talents with each servant. We can take talents as money. We can take it broader in the real or how we look at the word talents, but probably it was money. It was money in that story. We can take it in a broader sense. Um, but he leaves uh, some with each servant. He leaves five with one, two with another, and one with a third. Five talents to one, two with talents to another, one talent with a third. And then upon his return, we see that the one with five uh, had invested those and made five more. So he had ten, and the one with two had also in like manner doubled. And um, to those two servants, the master says, most of us know the phrase, right? Well done, good and faithful servant. But the servant with one talent simply buried it so that he could give it back in total to the master. He was afraid of the master. He didn't really care for his business, business practices. Um, he was kind of worried that he'd be accused of something or whatever. So he's like, I don't want anything, you know, say anything. This is, this is the one talent you gave me. Here it is, same serial number, everything. It's your, this is the one. I, I, I buried it. I'm digging it up. I'm giving it to you. Here you go. And he returned it to him. And so for this effort, the servant is uh, cast from the master's presence forever. It's, uh, it was not a good display of, of servitude. And again, I, I believe that this, this final parable is really the punchline and the answer to the question. I think this really, I mean, the, 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 the writing goes on a little further and you've got... Um, 
the righteous judge and so forth. But I think in general, we look at those stories and these parables and this concluding one, which is different than the other ones, I think this is really the, the bulk answer to the question of when, you know, when will you return and what will be the sign of your coming? The answer being, don't worry about that for right now. You'll know, trust me. It'll be a singular, or say it won't be a singular solar eclipse or a lunar eclipse. I mean, it's going to be the stars falling from the heaven, he says, uh, the foundations of the heavens shaking. He says you're going to see it from east to west. That pretty much covers everything. You ever notice if you go from east to west, you never, like, it, it's, you know, it's, it's not like north and then you go south. I mean, e it's just, it's a different east and west. Anyways, the point is you're going to see it. You, it will be unmistakable. So don't worry about that for now. You'll know when I'm coming. You'll know the sign. Um, it'll be painfully obvious. But in the meantime, um, be ready and be a faithful steward of what I've given you. I think that's the answer. And that everything that God gives you, you are commanded to uh, steward and use well. Everything. Um, another nighttime story. Uh, those three kids are asleep. There's a couple others that are now get to go to bed a little later. And usually, uh, one in particular is doing something. Maybe he's reading, watching videos on some device or spacing out or something. And I'll say, hey, are, are you like, if you had to go to bed right now, are you, are you ready? Or do you have things to do still just to get ready, like brush your teeth and change? Oh, no, I still got to do those things, you know? Okay, well, why don't you do that stuff first, okay? Why don't you go take care of those things first? Make sure you've you got your sleep clothes on, they're in the laundry, you brush your teeth and all that stuff. Get all that done first, and then, yeah, then you can go, you can, you got time, you can, you can watch videos or do whatever. That's fine, you do it then, you know? And uh, in like manner, I think if we get all our stuff done too, if we get, uh, you know, invest the talents that God has given us, then maybe we can have some fun and speculate about the end times and look at earthquake statistics if you want and so forth. I'm not necessarily saying not to do that. But, but in lieu of investing our talents, no. Looking at charts and, and these kind of things, I don't think so. I think the message is pretty clear from Yeshua here that we need to invest our talents. Do that first. You'll know. But get that stuff done first, the things that you need to do. And yeah, then maybe, maybe you can speculate. <laughs> but I'm glad that he knows the perfect time for the end and he hasn't left it up to, to me or you to figure out. Because the reality is that in the meantime, most of us have plenty more that we can and should be doing. So let's do that. And then hopefully in God's perfect timing, he'll return. And instead of us needing to uh, quickly scamper across the room in the darkness, perhaps, <laughs> we can be comfortable, relaxed, and confident that he will return and he will say to us, well done, good and faithful servant. So let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your, your word, as always, every day and today as well. We thank you that well, although you have reserved certain things, Lord, that only you know the specifics on, that you still give us plenty of clear guidance on how to, you know, where to carry through and live out our lives in the, in the right, in the here and now. We thank you, Lord, that you have gifted each one of us with talents and abilities, and we pray that you'd continue to show us how we are to invest those, Lord, in the interim time. And I ask, Lord, that if there's anyone here today that needs to come to you in faith, trusting in Yeshua as their atonement, as their salvation, 
if that's something they put off, if that's something they put off investigating for whatever reason, especially thinking that there'd be more time, Lord, that today would be their day to not do that anymore, to not put that off any further. And I ask, Lord, that if there's anyone that has trusted you and has made that decision in their life to trust you, but maybe they're just not yet fully on board with responding to your call in their life. Maybe they think they might be the one that would be scampering across the room really quick, Lord, uh, to kind of get things in order. I pray today, Lord, that they would abandon any of their preoccupation with distractions that have been hampering them, Lord, and they would take the necessary steps to, to obey your voice and in, in, in your calling in their lives today. So I thank you for being very clear in all that you call us to do, Lord, and very clear in your desire, though, for us to, to come to you in trust and in repentance. It's in Yeshua's name I pray. Amen.